Hey, everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. I'm Jeffrey Lunnan. And this is Volume Up by the T's. I've got some news. What? I got vaccinated. Oh! Pew, pew, pew. Did you get the sticker? Did you get the sticker? Uh, No, I got a very underwhelming band-aid that's flesh color yeah it's awful the the most eventful part of the whole vaccination was that she got the band-aid stuck on my t-shirt when she was pulling (laughs) it down and then she was like oh i'm so sorry that might hurt i'm like no it didn't and she was like oh whatever whatever but it wasn't like yeah we're we're fine but everybody else got like the cool circular one or but no i got i got literally nothing you know i think somebody should have been thinking and for like a true pr op could have had like a custom COVID vaccinated by whatever, I don't know, Mm -hmm. Mm Band-Aid. Custom Band-Aid, come on. There was a step and repeat in true LA fashion (laughs) um, at my place, but it was after, and I was not going to like go stand in the weird line to do the step and repeat. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, people were thinking just not at point of vaccination. Last thing, (laughs) some controversy here. Did you get yours in your dominant arm? or your non-dominant arm, because I have heard dominant good because you use it a lot and therefore it will not hurt as much. Did not get it in the dominant arm. The nurse wouldn't allow it was like, no, that doesn't make sense. And I was like, you're the no, pro. Do you whatever had you this want. conversation with the nurse. Yeah. Cause she was like, well, which arm do you want it? And yeah, I was like, that's uh, me and too. so she was like, which one are you dominant? No, 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 the whole thing. But ultimately it wasn't my choice. She was just like non-dominant. Boop. No. So she was like, which one? And I was like, I don't know, the one closest to you, this one, mm-hmm. which is my left, and I'm right-handed. Mm-hmm. So I knew nothing about the dominant. Well, I mean, my wife, who's a doctor, was like, it, it kind of makes sense that that it would hurt less, oh. maybe. But my daycare providers <laughs> went and got theirs, were like, do it in the dominant, Jeff, do it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. all right. So you went in, full-blown, going for the dominant. Ready, arm, and you all like, ready nope. to go. Yep. <laughs> I had no time for anything other than like getting that shot in my arm, but turns out non-dominant arm. It was, I, you know, I've got the first now you've got the first. So we're in the Mm -hmm. same club. Mm -hmm. I heard the second is what's going to get us, you know, that might be optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) We'll worry Mm -hmm. about that in a couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah. We got time. Isn't it this weird sense of like, everybody's there. You're doing the same thing. We're doing it for the the, the greater good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could get emotional. You know, it's like, wow, I don't know. So I anticipated that I would mm-hmm. be like moved by the moment. <laughs> and then <laughs> you, you, were, you were pissed about the yeah. arm. <laughs> and then after the whole Band-Aid situation <laughs> um, and being told to sit in a chair where they would monitor me for 15 minutes, you know, it, it was not terribly emotional. Right. I didn't right. feel yeah. I didn't feel the spirit, as it were, um, with my collective, you know, people, man. But yeah. man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that is now trickled down to the mid level population in California. That's Amen. progress. And speaking of progress, if you liked our interview with Jennifer Wallenick from Glow Recycling, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, at Read the Tees, and send in questions to volume up at thetees.com. Hell yes.
And on today's episode, we talked with award-winning barber, barbershop owner, international educator, and all-around pioneer of modern barbering and men's hairdressing, Josh Omira Patel. We talked before UK salons and barbershops opened up, but you're not going to want to miss this. He had tons to say about the experience of lockdown, what it was like to position his business for digital education, and way more. But before we get there, let's dive into what's new on the tease.com this week. Here are our favorite headlines. Kick it off, Jeff. So for me, one of my faves every single month is the monthly edit. Every product that our editors loved this time in March. So if you're a product junkie like myself, this article is pretty much a must. The editorial team unpacks their favorite swear by bought it five times in a row kind of products, which is what I'm all about. Um, And this month, it's no different. Everything from cosmetics to skincare to CBD wellness products. You got to go check that out. All right. I'm checking it out. I love me a good listicle. I love editor's picks. For me, um, you know, I was looking at the innovation from Pravana. They launched their new Chroma Silk High Lift. So all the colorists out there, I know you want to speed up your blonding process. And this new formula could be your secret weapon. So we're lifting hair up to four levels, neutralize and tone in just one step without the use of bleach. So kudos to the team over at Pravana. Chroma Silk High Lifts. For the win. For the win. For the win, indeed. (laughs) Speaking of winning, another article that I'm really into right now is Soothe and Hydrate Hair with Biologia's Hydrosource Collection. So, you know, seasonal changes are happening. Spring's here. Summer's around the corner slash tomorrow if we're thinking about climate change, which for me, at least in LA, Southern California means heat and frizz, right? None of those things are great for hair. Uh, doesn't make you feel good about oneself. So <laughs> basically, I'm really into this story from Biolage about their Hydrosource collection, which features soothing aloe vera. There's a huge range that I had no idea about. Uh, tons of different products that you should probably check out, uh, especially if you've yeah. got frizzy hair, curly hair, textured hair like myself. Uh, read more on the tees.com for the whole range. I love it. And speaking of range, I'm going to give a shout out to my friends over at Beauty Industry Group. So this is their second Extend event they are hosting on May 2nd and 3rd. Basically, we're all used to the virtual shows. This is a virtual Mm -hmm. hair extension education conference. So, you know, I myself like to dabble in the extensions. I think that if I were a stylist, I would certainly specialize in this area because it is incredibly lucrative. So on this, you can become certified in one of their hair extension lines from Babe Hair, Flaunt, Halo Couture, Donabella, and Glam Seamless for literally a $99 ticket. So hop on over to Extend Events on Instagram, uh, get all the info and the deets for the May 2nd and 3rd event. We'll be there and we'll cover it on the tease.com. As always, so much going on at the tease.com. Thank you to our hardworking editors. We're proud to publish the stories that salon pros and consumers care about. Next up, our interview with Josh Amira Patel. Today, we're talking with Josh Amira Patel, award-winning barber, barbershop owner, and international educator. Josh has cemented his place within the industry with revolutionary cutting processes and techniques alongside his philosophies on mindset and success. The aim of his curriculum, Barber Joshua P. Education, is to simultaneously enhance Salon Pro's relationships with barbering and themselves. Thank you so much for joining us from the UK, Josh. Let's get started. Thank you guys for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. Pleasure is all ours. 
why barbering? How did okay. you arrive at it? Did you always know you were going to be a barber? Talk to us about that. So, like, absolutely not at all. So if you'd have <laughs> asked me if I would be a barber when I was in school, um, I would have told, I honestly would have probably laughed. Right? <laughs> because, like, I was, when I, when I started to cut hair, when I started to get an interest in cutting hair, I was in university. Um, but honestly, I was quite, I was a lost child at that point. I mean, I was like 18, but no, I was about 21 when I started cutting hair. Um, but I was like completely lost. I had like no purpose, no vision, no goals, really. I was just sort of, I was, I was coasting essentially. Um, and then the, the, the craziest thing, it was New Year's Eve and I needed a haircut. I think you know where this is going to go, but yep. I needed a haircut and I couldn't get into the barbers because I'd le left it to the last minute. At this point in my life, I didn't have much money. So uh, it wasn't like I could go to a barber. Let me just pay you extra and get me in. Um, so I was like, well, my dad's got this home kit, so I'm going to start cutting my own hair. So I remember I got, I, I literally put a cap on like this and I like looked mm -hmm. at where I might want the line. And I was like putting a zero line around my head. And then I was trying to fade it in thinking, I've seen them do it before. It's fine. Um, yeah, that didn't happen. Um, I ended up with just a line, but higher than it was originally, all the way around. But that being said, that was the haircut that actually changed my life because there was just something in the sound of the clippers cutting the hair. And it, it mm -hmm. sounds crazy to anybody who's not sort of in the hair industry, but just hearing that sound, that was just me hooked. And I literally, so that was on New Year's Eve. So obviously the the new um, term or semester for the for university or college didn't start until like, a week and a half after that so i literally wrote my resignation letter then uh or my withdrawal letter sorry and uh, mm -hmm. i went into university and had it in and i was out as soon as i could be and the, which i just knew i like there's there's no real explanation as to why i don't like i don't think many people in the industry do have a specific actual reason other than sometimes maybe parents being involved because out of context it's a very weird thing to do <laughs> when you think about it it's not something you're ever going to go i'd love to touch people's hair for a living um but when it comes down to it, there's just something that grips you and draws you in. So, and it's kind of crazy because I was never even artistic in school. I mean, I've got a tattoo that says I failed art because my teacher um, told me I wasn't allowed to take art. She said I didn't have an artistic bone in my body. So it was really a turn of event. Uh, I think you can probably imagine what my parents said when, when I, when I told them I'd, I'd withdrawn from university. So. Uh, well, what did they say? I mean, come on, let's, um, let's talk about that. I, I imagine based on what you just said, they weren't expecting <laughs> that for you. It so it, it, it didn't go down too well. Not well at all, really, actually. Um, so the story really was behind that. Like, So the only person who actually wanted me to do it was uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my fiance. She she was like, yeah, do what you got to do. Um, mm -hmm. I want you to be happy. But my, so then I was like, yeah, like, I, I, I'm, ex I'm excited to tell my parents now that they're going to be fine. If you were fine, they were they'll be fine. And I sat them down and I said, uh, yeah, I'm leaving university. And they said, uh, no, you're not. Uh, and then I said, uh, yeah, I am. And I said, what are you good? They, they said, what, what are you going to do? And I said, uh, I'm going to cut hair. And then, uh, I can't say exactly the words they said, but they told me no. <laughs> but it turned, it turned out okay. I was going to say, things seem to have turned out for the best. So have they come around to the career now, now that it's Yeah, I remember, like, don't get me wrong. I think that as soon as they saw that I was happy, then they did turn around a little, a little bit because I, I think, as I said, I was a coaster up until that point. And I'd obviously had, there'd been a lot of things that I was like, okay, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this. And it would be like a month of doing it. and it, it wouldn't really be my purpose. So 
I would leave, I would drop out of it or leave. Um, so I, I, I get the worry they had before. Um, as I started to become happy and really started to sort of push on to, to sort of to work in a shop and then, and then work in a better shop and sort of developing my career, they came around a little bit, but there was always one moment where I was actually in Russia on stage and I did a show, the first show I'd ever done, a, pr- a first proper show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my dad texts me and he just texts me saying, I'm proud of you. And that was, that was a really nice moment for me, but I also laughed because I rang him and I said, did it really take you for me to go to Russia just to tell, just to tell me that? Uh, too funny. Uh, so, I mean, talk to us a little bit about barbering, as it were. Mm-hmm. Men's grooming in general uh, has continued to be a growth space within mm-hmm. salon professional uh, industry, especially within the States. Uh, what's yeah. your take on why all of a sudden the surge? Uh, do men care more about personal grooming than they did a couple of years back? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so uh, like obviously like barbering and male grooming isn't quite as high up in the social hierarchy as hairdressing and cosmetology yet. But I I honestly do think that in the last five to six years, and luckily for me, the entire time I've been in the industry, there's been a huge surge of in male grooming and, and a lot of more men and people just in general with short hair are taking a lot more care over their hair. Uh, men with obviously beards, um, skincare. I mean, I'm like, when you go to the barbers now, you can have a facial, you can have the eyebrows, whatever you want, you can have it done. And I think a lot of it as well, like I know in my barber shop, we have a certain amount of female clients who have short hair too. And I think that sort of merging of sort of the industries where a lot of more females are having shorter hair, men are even not having slightly longer hair, but more importantly, just wanting more treatments. And that coming together is sort of building like a fusion in the barbershop, which is which is really nice. It's almost like you don't want to call it a barbershop anymore half the time. It's more of a, a, a male salon or a short hair salon more so. So actually, we're going to get right into that. In the States, the barbershop mm-hmm. has certain connotations. So it's yeah. changing, which yeah. thankfully it is. However, historically, it's been sort of derided as either being chain or franchise related where it's sort of cheaper, lesser quality Mm -hmm. or well, and relatedly poor service, or it's sort of, this is segregated where like, this is for black folks. This is for white folks. This is, you know, um, do you feel like that's the case in the UK? Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that. And then, I mean, when you say that maybe it's not a barbershop as much as it's a men's or short hair Mm -hmm. salon, what do you mean by that? Expand on that a little bit for us. So I think that like, for me, I've traveled, a lot around the states and I, as i said before i typically i typically spend around four to five months in the states every year um mm-hmm. and so like my general sort of consensus of everything is that it's actually pretty similar the the way that the industry is generally across like society is pretty similar what i would say is that over here in the uk at the moment there is it is more popular to have for men to care more about their hair in terms of not just um, the, a fade and a lineup, because again, the one thing that in, a, in the States people are, are focusing on when they go to the barbershop is what they really care about is, is the lineup good? Is their shape up good? Um, was the service good? And that's like in the more higher end places, that's what they care about. It's even still, it's the shape up, the lineup, the fade, and that's it. Whereas here, it's more so they do care about that. But realistically, I, I know more people who really would be caring about the scissor work that's on top or the shape of the haircut and the longevity of the haircut rather than just the lineup itself. And those are the, the main differences I've always said when I've, when I've been on my travels that um, the only real difference is the, 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 actual, the most important thing about going to the barbershop is 
in the States, you find on your lineup here, it's more the cut itself. But I think the service thing, I think that's growing around about the same pace. I think increasing the service level, if anything, I think is actually more so in the States because here, or at least the price you can charge for the service is a lot more accepted in the States than it is here. When I talk to some of my clients, now like I'm considered really expensive for around here. Now, okay, I don't work in the city, but I charge 30 pounds for a haircut and 40 pounds for a hair and beard, which is the equivalent of, I think it's 40 or 40 or $52, something like that. And so in the States, that wouldn't be necessarily overly expensive. It's probably around just above average because obviously <laughs> average is brought down by the lower, the lowest price shops. Whereas here, I like, even in the city, like I'm charging around about a city price, um, but we're more in the suburbs. So I think with price-wise, when I talk to them about what people in America charge, that my, my clients can't believe it. And if they had straight up say, I would not pay that. And I'm like, well, one day you're probably going to have to. Because <laughs> it, it, it's going to go that way for some people. Like for myself, because I'm only in my shop at Christmas time now. So what I used to do was all of my clients, that were new clients would pay the actual price. And my old clients would pay what they used to pay. And I never used to up the price for them. But even them, even my old clients now, they're going to have to pay the increased price. And I think that we are working hard in the UK to try and elevate the entire industry to be able to charge more. The way that I think the States is actually slightly ahead of us in that, that you have started that process. I think there's still a big, big gap in, in between the high end and the low end over there. But I think that it's not like here, it's more so we don't have a high end in my eyes. But like we do, we have a high end service, but we don't have a high end price. Yeah, no, that's an important distinction. And and interesting. I mean, certainly that's not something that I think the common everyday stylist in the States is, is thinking about or, or has yeah. exposure to. So appreciate that insight. Uh, you've mentioned a few times your shop. So talk to us about the sort of transition from being a barber, independent stylist, to the salon owner, the barbershop owner. For me, I had a I had a crazy experience when getting my own shop because just before I had the shop, I was I just spent my first year touring full-time educating. So I was touring full-time educating um, and I was just renting a chair from my friend who owned a shop in a city nearby, which was great. I was young. I was free. I was mm-hmm. just traveling the world. And when, when I was back, I had somewhere to work. But because of that, I was like in the shop there maybe one day a week on average, maximum. Um, so what, I wasn't really cutting clients. I was by that point it was just just close friends that could get in. So when it came to opening my own shop, I I didn't really want to do it. I know that sounds crazy, but like <laughs> I, I didn't actually like have a burning desire to own my own shop. The uh, the main reason why I wanted to do it at the time was for legitimacy with my own business. Like I would be traveling and I'd be doing a class and there'd be say a, let's say hundred people in my own private class and they'd go to me. Oh, so where's your shop? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't have one. So I was like, right, I want to do that to give it a bit, give the business some legitimacy and to give it almost some 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 legs to to go with. And we went and got it. And I think it was a very humbling experience for myself. And I think a lot of shop owners find this, that when you do get a shop, obviously, it's a humbling experience to, to know that everything about that relies on you. But for me, I found it even stranger because I was go, I had to take, I think I took three months off of traveling completely to, to build the shop up. But obviously, I'd gone from educating, traveling the world, having all these people come to classes. And then I had to go and open a shop where I hadn't really, I hadn't really been cutting hair. So as in for my clients, so I, I didn't have clients, if that makes sense. I did. And I had some who would be like, once they found out about me, would come back. 
but it was very hard to sort of get the word out that you know I've got a shop and you need to go you guys need to come and because again these people have got settled having the haircut with somebody else and so when I opened I remember the first two weeks I was slammed I was absolutely slammed and it was just me on my own in this shop and then the next two weeks I was dead like completely completely dead and I, I think that's one thing that when you when you get a shop and now looking back I think in the last two years I've matured a hell of a lot one thing that people don't ever consider when you're getting your own place or your own shop is that no matter what happens, you've got to pay all the bills. If you have any staff, you've got to pay the staff. And no matter how many clients you have or how many clients you think you have, you're not going to be booked out for the first month. You're going to be, you, you might have a week or two. Like I had two weeks and I think that was really good going. But you're not going to have like a month, two months in advance straight away. And I think it's a great experience afterwards. But <laughs> once you've got through it, it's a great experience. But at the time, it is really humbling. And, I look back at that and I actually enjoyed that experience because I think it made me more prepared for the world, if that, if that makes sense. It made me wake up and I think that was my transition between being a young, free, naive artist kind of just sort of roaming the world to I want to be a business person. I want to actually understand the world and, 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 and become part of the community. One of the, one of the main things with our barbershop is that I've been very adamant on not making it an Instagram barbershop, if that makes sense. Not that because not that I don't want it to be popular on social media, of course, I would love it to be popular on social media for its own accord. But at the same point, I think with the salon or with the barbershop, one of the main aspects of it is that it's the heart of the community. And mm. I wanted to build something that was the heart of the community. Like I, I have a fair amount of clients that travel from when I used to work in the city, but now, 90% of our clientele are from within a two-mile radius of the shop, which was great. But that was part of the humbling experience because no matter how many people around the world knew who I was, when I got into my hometown, in my hometown, nobody knew really, apart from the people I personally knew. And again, that was a great experience for myself because it helped keep me, helped keep me grounded for what was to come. So talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, like the local community versus, and we'll get to education and your exploits around oh, the yeah. world in a bit, but what is, for example, like the number one cut that is, you know, asked for over and over again? Like, what are the trends that you're seeing? Like, what are the folks within your, your area want to see from you guys? Again, because we're not near a city and especially because we're not near London. Now, when I, I know the sorts of ideologies, especially in the States and the barbers in the States, what they think of when they think about European haircuts or UK haircuts, mm -hmm is it's a lot of like like skin fades, stretched out skin fades with like a high, with the blend relatively high, um, mm -hmm. nice scissor work on top. That doesn't happen every day. Like, like no, I don't think there's one barbershop in the whole of the country where, as in, that's not in the city of London that, that's going to be doing those haircuts every day. Like I might get one a day with my clientele and that's me and my clientele travel. So the guys and the rest of the guys in the shop, have, it, it's like three back and side, like literally a number three at the back and side, <laughs> short haircut on top. Like mm -hmm. that's pretty much all you're going to get um, as a standard haircut for us. Then when you get the young guys in, and again, it all depends on what you charge because we charge slightly more than the local, the other barbers in the local community. We actually get less kids. We get less, less children, less young adults because they, well, we used to because they didn't want to pay. We sort of restructured our pricing a little bit to have a more of a tier system so that we could get some of the younger guys in. And, and when we do, they just all have just skin fades. But in all honesty, the, the young guys here, they all want like 
what most young guys want, a low, a low heavy skin fade with a messy top. That's pretty much all they want. It's kind of crazy. Like for me, I always try to educate my own clients as to what would suit them better, what would build longevity, what actually will look better. And more so like what the image that they look at when they, when they show us a photo and they come in and say, I want this, what that actually is. Because a lot of the time, what they ask for is the opposite of what they're showing you. So it's all about sort of just talking to the client. And like for me, half of my client experience, I think personally, is based off of understanding what they actually want because you want to be able to give them what they want without them really asking for it themselves. Um, and so that's why I always try and train my guys to do. Um, even with the younger guys, I always say to them, like, kind of like I've always worked by giving them my version of their vision. And that's what I try and get my guys to do. But yes, yeah, so the, the, the local guys aren't having like these crazy haircuts or, or anything like too extreme. The or, and... Yeah, then anything too, like, especially with the volume, like for me, like I'll, well, especially when we first opened the shop, I mean, one of my main things that I like to do is style the hair. And I always, always, always style hair. But again, you, it's about reading your client because sometimes you'll style the hair and they'll be like, oh, no, I don't want that. And they'll just push it back down again. And like that's when when I get to know my customers, I'm always like, right, just let me do this and I'll brush it back down for you after I want to take a photo. But again, like they don't want that. They just want to come in and get a haircut, feel good. And this is why I'm always a big advocate for with a barbershop, with a salon. It's 80 percent about the experience. Yeah, you can't mess up the hair. Of course, you've got to do the best haircut you could ever do. And when you get a balance of doing both, amazing. But it's still 80 percent about the the service and i think especially in barbershops especially with male grooming um i think with hairdressing and cosmetology there's a little bit more of an, an idea where i think the, the the customer's more likely to complain about the haircut itself whereas i think guys really like barely know what they're looking at so with that like realistically if you make them feel a million dollars they're going to feel a million dollars regardless of what the haircut was because and I say this to people all the time when they're training. How, when you walk around the street, how many times do you look at a haircut and go, that's a nice haircut? Because I, I, I guarantee you it's like once a week. <laughs> like it's, it's not common at all. Um, so all these guys are walking around with haircuts that you don't even think is good, but they're more than happy. I can guarantee they've been going to the same guy for like 15 years. But it's about the energy. You always talk about that. The energy you put out is the energy you receive. And I think with the clients, especially with anything artistic, the energy you put into what you do is the energy it's received with. So that's what, with beginners, when, when you talk to beginners and they're working in the shops, like the apprentices or um, people who are just still in school, I always talk to them about like, nobody cares basically. Like you do what you, th you cut hair so you're happy with it. And then when, you're, when your own energy is that you're happy with it, I guarantee you the customer will be happy with it. I guarantee you, because if you weren't happy with it yourself, then it's not going to, do you know what I mean? It, it, you wouldn't let it leak. You wouldn't let it go if it wasn't good enough. So speaking of energy and the transfer, what the heck was business like once you weren't able to do any of that? We're talking like full lockdown, shops closed. What have you been up to? How did that sort of affect the bottom line? What did your barbers do? Talk to us about that because we don't really hear so, in the states what it's been like. We sort of understand like it's been tougher in mm -hmm. the UK, but that's basically where it ends. Yeah, so it, it has been really tough. It's been really really tough. We had obviously we had the first lockdown, which was like was it last April, right? Till and then we didn't open up. So we locked down at the end of March last year, and we didn't open up till I think it was the end of June, I believe. That was at the time where 
it was like everyone was just so hot on being COVID secure. Now, everyone still mm -hmm. is to a degree, but I think everyone's a little bit more relaxed now. Um, whereas then everyone was like, oh my God, this is just like the worst thing ever. Because I remember when there were, there were rumors about being locked down and being shut and we got um we got advised by the the british hair foundation to that it might be wise to think about shutting so um especially being classed as more of a higher-end salon a higher-end barbershop we just immediately was like right that's it mm -hmm. um we're shutting and i said to the guys i said look obviously at this point we were like it's going to be like two three weeks it's going to be fine <laughs> once things kind of progressed um the government gave out grants so they did like a grant scheme, which was great. But some of the guys, obviously, they're, they're not going to get too much uh, just because they're just self-employed barbers. And I don't think at the time, I think a couple of the guys had were only in their, their first year. So they hadn't worked self-employed mm. enough to qualify. So what we did, well, what I did is I just took the decision. So when we got the grant, so because of me doing education and that was still carrying on, when we got the grant given to us, I just literally split it with them. Uh, well, I, I just gave it to them, basically. I just made sure the rent was paid for the shop and I just let them have the grant um, so that they could be okay. And in my eyes, so that they didn't have to then think I'm going to go and cut hair like in secret and <laughs> risk whatever. So many people um, did it in the States. Yep. Yeah. So that's what happened for the first lockdown then. Then we got allowed to open and then... If everything was great. I mean, we were absolutely slammed. I mean, I went back in the shop and that was like the worst week of my life because, and I and I don't know anyone really who properly enjoyed that because like getting used to the PPE, that was just horrific. Everybody's hair was stupid long. And I thank, <laughs> thank you to my clients because I do appreciate it, but none of them had had a haircut. No one had paid anyone in secret to have the haircut and no one had even let their wife or whatever cut their hair. So I just had some like, bushes to get through so yeah that that wasn't great but then we was everything back to normal we were we got used to the ppe everything was carrying on it was all fine and then in november we got locked down again then we got we opened for december and then midway through december because we had christmas and at christmas we had this rule where covid apparently disappeared on christmas day so you could go and see anyone you wanted to on christmas day which just like i mean don't get me wrong it was great because i got to see my mom but so the day before New Year's Eve, so the day before New Year's Eve, we were, I was cutting in the shop and I said, I said to the guys, I said, I guarantee you tonight, because there was meant to be an update. And I said, I guarantee you tonight we're going to be in lockdown. Um, so I said, just ring, ring all of your clients, ring all of your clients and just get them in tonight. Guarantee you. And so like some of them got half the clients in. I got all of my clients in. I was there till like midnight. I just was like, I'm straight through. So like, yeah, in the last year, it's about seven months of complete lockdown so what's that five months out of a year being open which is just like because obviously for me we have two separate businesses so it's the shop and the education separately like it's been a tough tough year for the shop because again the shops are, before covid was only two two years old yeah before covid it was two years old so it was still at that stage where we were building um we were just getting to the point where we were ready to hire more staff because we we can supply our clientele but that obviously then got all sort of paused. And But I mean, let's talk then about the second part of the business. So, I mean, the big thing to talk about here is like you are a globally renowned educator. Uh, so we'll talk about the business specifically, mm -hmm. but how the heck did you get to education? So you were an independent stylist. Mm -hmm. How then did you transfer to teaching on stages in Russia, for example? I was always very just keen on 
standing out from the crowd. I've always, since I started barbering, I loved how expressive you could be and get away with it. Um, so I, I was just expressing myself creatively. I got a job in, I, I first worked in like a local shop that was like, I mean, if it was in the States, you'd call it a hood shop. Like it was, it was like, <laughs> it was rough. Uh, um, but it was like, so they were charging like five to seven pound a haircut. Like, and I, I was working there and I hated it because it was like, you've got to do your haircuts in 10 minutes. This is what you got to do. And I was like, no. So I, I, I networked and I, I got my haircut by some, by one of my friends, Nick. And I went and worked there and there it was appointments got to be expressive. And I was just expressing myself and I was posting on Instagram and I was just, I mean, that's how I've always got everything I've ever done through mm-hmm. Instagram really, because I the first job I got in that in that local shop they gave me the job because of what they saw on Instagram then the same with um the next one so I was working there expressing myself and I just got asked like people were just asking me can you come and show me what you're doing at this point I'd only been cutting hair a year and I was kind of like when I look back now I look back and I think I definitely definitely should not have said yes because <laughs> I definitely wasn't ready but I've I always always stand by and do things before you're ready because I personally, from my own experiences, you've just got to do it. Like if you're, if you're doing it before you're ready, you just, ha- your brain has to just go into overdrive to just make sure you get through that experience. And then when you do anything, you don't think you did well, you can learn, you can, you can study it, whatever thing you failed on, you study it and you get better. Whatever you think you did well, do it again. Um, so I, I said, yes. Um, I went to Rotterdam in the Netherlands um, and I did a class. Now, when I say a class, it definitely wasn't a class like you would imagine. It was like, I just rocked up uh, and cut some hair. I remember I didn't even have an adapter for the plugs because obviously European plugs are different yep. to the UK plugs. So I just rocked up with like a suitcase and I was like, right, I'm going to cut hair. And they just asked me questions about what I was doing, but they loved it. And for me, just seeing their eyes light up, some of the words I was saying and some of the things that I was doing, that just it just ignited something in me that was like this is what I want to do so when I got back from that because I obviously documented it and I was posting it on social media Mm -hmm. I was getting asked more and more and more so I said yes to like three or four different um events and shows and I got that one in Russia which was it was crazy literally like four thousand people there and I remember just before I went on stage there thinking to myself if I like this then I'm going to put this in my Instagram bio that I'm an educator (laughs) that's literally what I said to myself because I was like if this is it then this is what I want to do then I'm going to make this my career so uh, I I walked on stage I don't remember anything I did or said in that last in that half an hour but I remember I got off and it was the most amazing experience I'd ever had and I I just absolutely loved it and I, I I found my true passion like I knew cutting hair was my passion was my first passion but educating teaching and just being able to inspire people was just a whole whole new level so what i did is i spent the next six months to a year religiously self-studying and when i say self-studying i don't mean like sat at home studying someone i mean like i analyzed every inch of what i did and why i did it why i thought it and i used to like just do like mind maps so i'd map everything out like why does this mean this why do i think this and um, because one of the things I'd noticed as I was going along with getting into education was that the way that I cut hair was actually very different. I people people at first would come and see me cut hair because it was creative. And as I was doing it, they'd be like, hang on, why why did you do that? Like that actually works. And I was like, it works. I'm, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again. And and I just studied it and I worked out, and that's why it's it's always been constantly evolving and always 
I'm always bringing it into a new life, if that makes sense. But I was always very, very adamant on the perception I was going to create for myself. Because for me, I believe that perception precedes reputation. Um, so you've got to create a perception that you do something before the world will believe that you do it. Because it's like when you, when you first learn to cut hair, when you're learning, you are telling every person you can find that you can cut hair. So they let you do it. And it's the same with educating. If you want to do it, you need to portray to the world that you do do it. So what I used to do, I remember there was a show in the UK. And this is before anyone would have asked me to go to a show, like in terms of in the UK. like Because like, the ones I was getting asked to go to, like they were people who were trying to build up these events. So like sure. I was probably looking back now, I was probably seen as quite a cheap option. Does that make sense? Like someone who people knew they would get entertainment from because the haircuts were creative. Mm -hmm. But... I was also not an educator, really, so I was never going to charge an educator's price. But I remember, so I went to this show in the UK, and this was more more of a legitimate show. Um, but I wasn't asked to go. I I just bought a ticket for the show, and I brought a model with me and brought my clippers. I turned mm -hmm. up. I, I found out before who was organizing the show, and I turned up, and I just said, can I cut some hair? And he looked at me, and he said, who are you? And I just said, it doesn't matter. Can I just cut some hair? Um, and he, he literally sent me. And he said, yeah, you can go and cut hair over there. And I'm not lying to you. It was it was literally the corner of the room. There were stairs above it, so like there was no lights, no nothing. And Oof. I was like, right, it'll do. But by the by the time I finished cutting hair, there was more people watching me than there was watching main stage. And I I never forget that. And that was one of the things because the next time they had a show, I was on the stage at the show. I've always said like, six. Everybody thinks that success is like a million miles away. And I always say to people, success is around the corner. You just got to know where to look. And that's why I think my job as an educator, and this is why when we did that article, it's what I talked a lot about, about how being an educator isn't always just about telling people sort of techniques and process and like theoretical success. It's about igniting the fire inside of them and, mm -hmm. and being able to show them how they can be successful. And, and that's one of the things that, that gives me the most joy is to be able to show people like, look, no, honestly, like you are good enough. You just are looking in the complete wrong direction. So speaking of like lighting that fire, in-person events, it's a little bit easier to sort of see what people are responding to when you're on stage, mm -hmm. what they like, what they're hyped about. With COVID, couldn't do that, couldn't travel, pivot to online. Mm -hmm. What has that been like? Um, what have been the successes that you've experienced? What are the challenges with that sort of digital interface for, for haircutting? The Online Academy has been phenomenal, nothing short of phenomenal, because we were planning on doing it anyway. When I was, mm -hmm. um, I was midway through my American tour and, and I was like, right, I'd already done some online education previous to this. So I used to use Zoom um, mm -hmm. to just host online classes. And I'd done about four or five. So I'd been doing it for like a year um, every now and again. And so I was like, I want to make this a thing, do an online academy. I planned it all out. It was almost like it was meant to be. I set my date, my start date. I set the launch date for our online academy on the 1st of April. I set that date <laughs> in, no in November. So there's Good every cloud has a silver lining. That's the only yeah. way I can think about it. So, like obviously, COVID has been the most horrific year for everybody. And like ourselves included with the shop and everyone around the world. It's been a dark, dark year. But you've got to see the light. You the you've got to find the light basically. And this has been our light because that date was all always there. And so when everything started to get into when everything started to go towards a lockdown. I was like, right, I am getting this ready. I was like, this is going to be 100% ready to go. But honestly, 
it's been a very weird experience because it's been phenomenal. And one of the things that I've absolutely loved about it is that when I'm educating, usually as as a as a CPD, so a continual professional development educator, that's what we're registered with um, here in the UK. Obviously, we do a lot of more shorter term advanced courses, we do some <laughs> beginners courses, and we are just about to launch a six month beginners program. But primarily me as an educator have only done one day three day and five day courses so when you're doing that and you're teaching and, and you're educating you're going through with people and helping them to grow it's you see them grow but then the next day or the next week you've got another group who are doing the same thing starting from the same point and finishing at the same at a similar point and yes you can try you try and keep in contact with them or or keep tabs on them on, on social media and see how they're growing but realistically you can't do that properly whereas having the online academy we've been able to literally build friendships and relationships with people all over the world and watch them develop and grow over a whole year and that for me has been the most moving thing because it's not only shown to me the power of the curriculum that, that i've developed and and how it can help people day to day with their work in the shop and with their life but also the power of the community of our industry, because we've we obviously got quite a good community on there too, where everyone's on there every day, posting, asking questions, helping each other. And that's exactly what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be a place to help everybody, to help each other to grow. Because to be successful, you need to have a community behind you. And to have a community, you need to communicate. And I think a lot of people struggle with, sort of building that community on social media because social media can be a scary thing because it's all well and good to say, oh, it's easy to send someone a message, but it it, it sometimes isn't. And some people obviously suffer from different different forms of anxiety or Mm -hmm. or pressures and self-doubt. Whereas we kind of built like a safe space for people where they could just ask whatever question they want. We've got people on there who have never cut hair before when they started Mm -hmm. and they were just complete novices. But we've also got people who've been cutting hair for 30 years. And so... Because I've always said, like, we're doing like, we're just about to get ready for year two, which is like a career development course. And one thing I always say to students is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But this, this year two, this second year is me making them drink. That's that's the way I've worded it. Like, I'm going to put your head in the water because like, you are going to drink this time. Because I think that a lot of people, sometimes they just lack the discipline they've got all the passion they've got all the passion in the world they just sometimes lack the discipline to follow either the steps you need because the steps you need to take to be successful aren't hard to do they're just often overwhelming to do um and so we just essentially it's going to be like a personal training program so we're going to give them a personal training program to actually help them with stuff like social media so like you'll give them a structure of when to post and why and it's simple but when someone has something to follow I feel like they do it. When you just go, yeah, the best thing to do is to post on Mondays at 8.30 p.m. They're going to go, cool, sweet, thank you. And then three weeks later, they've just completely forgotten. Yep, yep, absolutely. (laughs) All right, so with the reopening, I mean, this is incredible for you too. Um, Are you exploring hybrid in-person models? Like, what is that going to look like for you? Is this going to be like you're all in on digital? Are you thinking Um, combo? It's definitely going to be a combination. I mean, we've actually got, because education in the UK can continue now. Um, it, well, I think it was like from April the 4th, it could continue. But mm-hmm. obviously being in the industry that we're in, it's like a real gray area between can you cut hair for education or can you not? So we just sort of like avoided that. 
But we are going back into it lightly. We've got a lot of one-to-ones and private classes lined up this year. Um, and well, supposedly I've got a lot of traveling to do, but we don't know whether that's going to happen. So I, I really don't know, but I do hope to get back to in-person education as soon as possible. Because one thing that I feel now is that in doing this sort of like dual threat that we've got with the online academy is I find that people who are booking the in-person courses now are people who have taken the online course because I feel like the online course gives you kind of everything you need, but then you also kind of would like to see and practice it in person with me because I think that there's all well and good. You sending me a photo and saying, does this look good or am I doing it right? And me going, yeah, that looks fine. But when you're actually there and we're doing it properly with a hands-on course, I think there's going to be a lot of interest once we get, once we get fully out of lockdown, I think that the in-person education this year is going to be, hit and miss. I think it's going to be a lot of one-to-ones, as I said, and a lot of private classes. But I think the big open classes, that I don't think that'll be, I don't think they'll start like selling out until next year because I think people are going to be skeptical in terms of booking things just in case it doesn't mm-hmm. go ahead. And I yep. think that people are going to be, well, trying to just save their money a little bit or regroup their money because I think a lot of people, especially a lot of people who come on these courses are either business owners or people who are paying for their staff. And so as a business, they're going to need to regroup their money first. And I think it's kind of like, it's going to be like a period of rebirth for the industry, which could be very beneficial. Could be. We're, you know, hopeful that in fact, it's going to be a positive rebirth and and not something that's that's worse than than was before. Uh, (laughs) Incredibly though, Josh, like in the midst of all of this, you also wrote a book. So (laughs) inside the Irreplaceable Volume 1, what inspired the book? What does it mean to you? Why should people read? Tell us everything. Like- so it's been a, it, it's been an idea of mine for a while because I always have talked a lot about psychology and mentality, and I always <laughs> believe that mindset is eighty percent of success. And it's one thing that in my classes and shows all around the world, I've always talked about from the very very start of when I began educating. As I said, because of talking about like igniting that fire in people, and that's the most important thing. Um, and so I've got like tons and tons of like notes and stuff that's just like written in my phone when I think of like these like inspirational thoughts. Like I just think of things and I write them down and like, and it always happens late at night and this has happened for years and years and years. And so I've always planned on writing a book and the, the book, what it is now will actually, as we go through, become a full on actual book book. At the moment, it's set as almost like an annual um the first one obviously is a bit more in depth because it's taking over the first five to six years of my career um but what i wanted to do with this was to sort of give a more personal insight yes inspirational too um and some of the thoughts i generally have are in there but it's a lot more about my personal experiences and how my what i actually thought when i was doing these things because a lot of it will be like the instagram photo but it'll be my personal story behind that and the people who were involved or what I, what I did, what it took to get there. Like, so there's, there's one, for example, where at the back, out the back of 2020, no, 2019. So at the end of 2019, I'd done like 77 flights that year. And my last trip was like, uh, I had to fly to Romania to do a class. But for some reason, the flights, bear in mind, it's only a three hour flight from England to Romania, was three separate flights to get there. So I had to fly three separate flights to get there. When I got there, they flew me to the wrong airport because there was some heavy winds. So I got there. Then the, uh, they had to 
get a car to come and pick me up to drive me then three hours to the show. So we were late for the show. So they got mm. to the show, did the show, but the show obviously ran over. So then we missed our flight the next that night to go to the next location for the next class the next day. So then we had to get a taxi across Romania in the middle of the night. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So like those are the kind of stories that are in there, the ones that nobody knows, um, no one's heard of. And Inside the Irreplaceable will always be the name. What we're planning to do is release one every year from now, um, okay. summarizing the year gone by. But it's going to be a summary that involves online academy members. So we've run competitions on our online academy, um, people from the classes, stand-up bits of touring, etc. It's all going to be in the books. And hopefully some inspirational stories, um, some funny stories. Um, those are the kind of things that are going to be in there. But then I think once we get along, then I'm going to actually put it all down into an actual inspirational book as well but it'll be it's nice to have the memories it's more of like a it's like a bit of a souvenir if anything but an insight into what traveling can be like too fair no a souvenir that all of us can enjoy not just yeah. you so yeah josh now it's time for a quick takes these are the questions that we ask each and every guest on this podcast we're not looking for a lot but we are looking for fast let's go bar soap body wash which is it body wash every time <laughs> <laughs> Quick. didn't even think about it for a sec all right we love to see it a lot of folks that are listening to the podcast are product heads so it mm -hmm. is hair body skin whatever yeah what is the latest product that you were obsessed with that you can't get enough of at the moment that's the hardest question for me ever because uh my fiance my fiance picks the products that we have in the house like that so i have <laughs> i don't really have too much say and then my hair i don't even have hair to style so like for me personally oh, you got more hair than i do <laughs> <laughs> but uh no if i was gonna it's actually really hard um i know this sounds really strange but mm -hmm. the thing that i've been using like the most in the bathroom like religiously is corsadil mouthwash <laughs> so okay. as strange as that is that's the only thing that i'm like that's the one i'm gonna buy myself but other than that i'm pretty easy <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right you know, we're living through a pandemic. It's not going away. Mm -hmm. uh, the UK is obviously a little bit more tough in terms of a lockdown than mm -hmm. the states have been. Um, things are changing, though. Thankfully, we hear some some good news. That said, lots of us, mm -hmm. yourself included, have had more time on their hands to do mm -hmm. things like watching TV, watching movies, listening to podcasts, music, etc. So what are you streaming these days? Um, we actually started watching Lost because I'd never watched Lost before. Um, and like through, through the first lockdown, so because we've been in like three lockdowns, so it's been kind of crazy for us. But through the first lockdown, I actually got to watch Game of Thrones, which I'd never seen. Um, because again, as you well know, like I'm so I'm always on the road, I'm always traveling, I never get to watch mm -hmm. any shows. So lockdown's been that time where I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna actually get to watch something now. So we did we did Game of Thrones, and now we're on Lost at the moment, which is pretty cool. Does Lost hold up? I also missed it the first go round. Uh, do you know what? Yes. Like, it's one of those things where when you first start watching it, you can't, I, I couldn't really understand how they were going to make so many series. I think that's because I knew how many series that there are going into it. Uh -huh. I was like, how on earth is this going to be this many series? But like, I'm, we think, I think we're in like series two. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, 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 is, it is gripping. I just remember uh, when it first came on, flipping through channels and seeing like a large polar bear thing and just being like i i don't know what to make of this so yeah but maybe i'll come back around bits, if you see them sort of out of context you'd be like no that's too that's too yeah. that's too far for me so <laughs> all 
right. Well, I'll I'll give it another another chance. Uh, all right. Two more questions. Mm-hmm. Real talk words of advice for pros that want to get to the top of our industry. So it could be barbering. It could be salon professional largely. What are your thoughts? In the nicest way possible, ignore everybody else. And uh, I think that part of the reason I, be- I grew as fast as I grew is because I taught myself. So I had no one to tell me what was right or wrong. And as much as now I'm looking back, I'm like, no, like, like education is, is what you need. And you need to have a foundation of solid education. But that being said, take the education and make it your own. So like in, in essence, listen to what they're saying, but still also think, well, I'm going to do it my way still and make it into your own. 2021 predictions. The year's getting to about the halfway point. <laughs> Things are opening back up incredibly, thankfully. Uh, what are you thinking the, that we've got in store for us for the rest of the year? I honestly think the rest of this year is just going to be sort of like a trial and error into getting back to normality. Well, as near to normality as we can be. Um, hopefully, hopefully some form of travel will be great uh, <laughs> because I am sure I'm missing the States. I spend a lot of my time there usually. So it's kind of weird for me. But yeah, I think it's just going to be a bit of trial and error, especially I know that you guys over there have probably had a you're a bit more ahead in terms of the trial and error than we are. But I think, yeah, it, there's going to be, I think it will be until the end of this year before we start to see some sort of global community again. Oh, we're looking forward to it. I hope so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel you. I've been stuck in California for like a year and a half. I haven't gone anywhere. It's yeah, it's a lot. It, it, it's, it's been a wild year. <laughs> Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've learned so much from you. It's been wonderful chatting with you about your experience, both with COVID and then beyond. Uh, we know there's big things in store. So before we wrap, where the heck can people find out more about what you are up to, what the Academy is up to? Plug all of the links for us. So obviously we got my Instagram at Barbara Josh OP. Um, we are, we actually have a very big secret is we got the full Academy launching, which I told you earlier. So our full Academy is about to launch uh, next week. More stuff on that will be found at Barbara Josh OP education on Instagram. Um, we can obviously go to our website, which is www.barbajoshop.com. Um, you can find us on Facebook. I'm now apparently on TikTok too. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, but it's all Barbara Josh OP um, because of the uniqueness of the name. It's great because no one's ever got the tags. All right. Well, again, thank you so much, Josh, for your time. It has been, honest to God, a pleasure. We really, really do appreciate it. Uh, We know that everybody that's listening here has learned a ton um, and have got more to learn from you. So, yeah, thanks again. Thank you very much. Where do we start, Kelly? I mean, God, first of all, the accent alone, we've said this. (laughs) It's so unfair. The folks from the UK have it on us every time. It's that colonial mindset thing that happens to us Americans. Um, Mm -hmm. Separately from that, fascinating background. Interesting for folks that are into men's hair, trends in the UK versus the US, uh, but also like people that want to get into education, like he gives you a roadmap. Uh, So I mean, a total treat to talk with him. Uh, And again, we thank him for his time. Lockdown was in full force when we recorded that episode. It is now open back up in the UK and we are hoping that he and his shop are plenty, plenty to see. Agree. I mean, an all around pioneer of modern barbering. I mean, he's done it all. Award winning barber, international educator. Gotta love it. So thank you, Josh, for your team and your excitement and energy. Be sure to hit subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tease, and send in questions to volume up at thetease.com. 
Volume Up is a Tease Media production. This episode was produced by Monica Hickey and Stephen Jatterer. Thank you to our creative team for putting together the graphics for this episode, and to Josh Landowski for editing so you can watch and listen on YouTube.